What's up, bikers? I'm Robert. This is the Biker Bar Podcast, episode 124. I'm stoked today. We have Seven IDP on the show, and uh, Jason's going to tell us all about the company and how that how that came to be. But before we get to that, let's do these things. Do me a favor. Follow me on Instagram. I know you're all not following me on Instagram because if you were, my numbers would be higher than they are. That's the bottom line. And those of you that are still holding out on Facebook, you're like in the over 40 crowd or over, over 50. I don't know who it is that uses Facebook. I know it's us old guys. So if you're over there, you don't do the Instagram. You're like, hey, I'm not doing this new, new technology shit. Follow me on Facebook. For some reason, that number will not go over a thousand. It will get as close to a thousand as possible and then go away again. So I don't know if you guys are like passing away or just like giving up on Facebook, finally jumping off. I don't know. Whatever it is, go to the Facebook or at BikerB1 and give it a follow or the Instagram. Those of you that have wondering why I'm not going on Sunday all the time anymore, I, I, I keep forgetting to mention this, so I want to do it real quick. Basically, I'm just trying to manage my my life happiness and every Sunday always being a, uh, a podcast in the middle of the day kind of makes it hard to go camping and do different things. And then also sometimes it's just easier for the people that I'm talking to, to not have to be on Sunday either. So I have gone with this new method of let them decide what works best for them and I'll work around it. And what that means to you is if you're a person that likes to watch on YouTube, then you should definitely hit the subscribe button and definitely hit the bell for notifications because I always post the uh, like the stream a day or two beforehand and that way you'll know, hey, I can make that one or I can't. Otherwise, um, if you're just here like trolling along and every once in a while you listen to one, just hit the subscribe button. It, it'll just make me happy to see that number grow. Thumbs up if you enjoy the content. If you guys really want to help the channel, do me a favor, swing by Patreon. It's as cheap as a buck or as expensive as you want it to be. So it really does help the channel. It helps, you know, pay for, for me to buy stuff to test. It pays for camera gear. What did I just buy the other day? Oh, I bought a new road wireless mic so that I can actually talk to somebody while riding and capture it. So those are the things that the people on Patreon are helping out with. So with all that being said, I really appreciate all you guys being here. We're going to bring Jason back online. How's it going, Jason? Hey, Robert. Good. How you doing? Not bad, man. It's Friday. I'm stoked next weekend or next week I'm going on vacation. So it's a good day. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, man? How's, how's this week been treating you? Whew, a little hectic. So yeah. I, I was on vacation last week and uh, family vacation, which always makes things more hectic. And uh, right. my, my little girl woke up sick Monday puking. Oh, <laughs> so no. to hear. And uh, yeah, I had to end up extending the day, getting stuck in a hotel room uh -oh. um, while she was recovering with no rental car because I got returned. And, oh, and so it was just interesting. To, to yeah, go out. yeah that, that's definitely, um, kids always seem to get sick at like the most inopportune times, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> anyway, so... Can you um, give everybody a little heads up on like what your your tie is to 7IDP and what you do over there? And then we can go from there. Yeah. Yep. So I'm actually one of the owners of, uh, so our parent company's Union Sport Group. Mm -hmm. We actually own three different brands under that, Royal Racing, 7IDP or 7 Protection, um, and also Tag Metals. 
seven IDP is our, our focus brand, I'd say, mm-hmm. our main brand. And um, so, yeah, I'm one of the, I said, one of the owners. I run our U.S. operations. We also have an office over in the U.K. And my business partner runs the operations over there. So how did, was 7IDP a thing before the rest of that? Or did it kind of all get like made at once? Or how, how did that happen? It's, it's an interesting story. And I'll try to give you the short version of it. <laughs> we have plenty of time. You can whatever version you want, man. <laughs> I, I can start talking and keep going, but uh, perfect. <laughs> um, so we started. I, I worked at another protection brand back in the day, and my business partner ran their European operations. Uh-huh. And that company got bought out by an investment group. And when that happens, a lot of times, you know, things change, and you got non-bike people coming in, and mm-hmm. you know, thinking they know the bike industry better than everybody else there. Right. And things weren't going the way that, that I was like. And I actually called a meeting with the new CEO because that's who I reported to there. I was in management. Mm-hmm. Uh, sat in a, a conference room with him for three hours discussing the future of the brand, the company, you know, his visions. And uh, the original owner of that company brand was waiting outside the conference room for me. And he said, I need to get out. <laughs> he says, you need to get out of here. You need to start your own company. Mm-hmm. I, I told him, I'm like, that sounds insane. I'm like, I don't know anything about running a company. I don't have right. millions of dollars sitting around. I don't have rich parents. I, I don't know how to even start a company, especially with my means. And uh, funny enough, a few weeks later, I heard Martin um, over in the UK, who said running the U- European operations, was trying to buy Royal Racing from that company because that was owned under that umbrella. Uh-huh. And uh I ended up over in Germany a few weeks later for Eurobike, told Martin, hey, let's do this. I want to go in on it too. So we ended up starting Union Sport Group by buying Royal Racing Mm -hmm. and doing that. When we split off on our own, we had a lot of our former customers and distributors asking us, when are you guys going to do protection? When are you going to do protection? Because that's what we came from. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had non-competes that were out there that we had to wait through and mm-hmm. but we were working on things in the background with the plans of launching protection so so seven, royal racing just for people that aren't familiar is more of an apparel line right correct yep yep so okay. royal racing jerseys shorts gloves mm-hmm. uh it, it's we still own that brand it's still out there funny mm-hmm. enough we don't do it out of our u.s operations anymore mm-hmm. um, it was a decision i made about two years ago to Put our focus on seven. Got it. Okay. Um, so, so Sorry yeah. to tell you there a little bit. So anyways, no, no worries. <laughs> I'm good at doing that myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, basically we were waiting for the time and it's something that we had planned really from, from day one, because uh-huh. we had some new ideas. We felt there, there was some new things that could be done in production and it could be done better. And we did do it. We did know it very well. Um, our customers were asking for it before we mm-hmm. even did it. And uh, so that's how Seven came about. And it, it launched originally with just a few knee pads and a few elbow pads. Mm-hmm. Uh, the helmets came a little bit later on. And that was kind of an interesting story. Because at the time that we started Seven, I actually had two companies that I was running. 
Mm -hmm. And one of them was <laughs> so from the guy that doesn't know how to do a business. Now he's got two. <laughs> I, I do, I do. And that was a yeah. That kind of happened by accident too, but it worked out for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was being partnered up with a European brand of helmets, and we were basically a, a North, South, and Central American uh, distributor and representative representative of the brand for marketing and. Mm -hmm. things but that brand wasn't going real well for us and uh, helmets worried me a lot and uh, we actually launched into seven with um, what we call an open mold helmet so it wasn't our own design mm -hmm. and I thought it was the worst thing ever I, I thought it was a terrible terrible idea mm -hmm. and you know we've never been secretive about it we're we're open about it that's what me saying it you know it sounds like some are trying to hide right um so that's basically like you contact a, a company that makes helmets. You say, hey, I want to put a helmet. And they're like, here's a design. And you just throw some logos on it and some colors. And yeah, yeah, essentially. Design. It's yeah. not even always exclusive to us, too. Yeah. And I, I thought it was a horrible, horrible idea because, one, we put a lot of thought into seven, the knee pads and elbow pads, and one is something unique. Uh, but Martin convinced me, and we, we moved forward on helmets, starting out with open mold. And he loves to rub it in my face to this day because helmets are actually one of our bigger category. It's our biggest category um, dollar wise. And the thought process behind it was one to test the waters because of my bad experience with the other helmets. And it was completely opposite experience from that one. And two, developing helmets, one takes a lot of time and two is very expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, tooling on a helmet can cost more than tooling on a carbon bike frame. Oh, wow. And just it, it's true. it's time. Like our, our first helmet that we launched a market of our own design was a three-year development process and you know, lots of money in tooling. So it gave us a way to test the waters, make sure that investment was worth it, see if we could have a name in helmets. And yeah, helmets, again, it's, it's our biggest category mm -hmm. um, with the exception of last year because of supply chain issues, mm -hmm. uh, the knee pad category actually surpassed it here in the U.S. So, Interesting. But yeah, so then we just were working on growing the brand and branching out and it was knee pads, elbow pads first, then the helmets, uh, gloves we did before, but we were really happy with them. So we took a little bit of time off and we uh, we just relaunched this year with a new glove line. And so when you said that, that you guys wanted to do seven with some things that you saw that you wanted to address that you could do differently. What were those things that you were looking at then compared to what was on the market? Well, I think, you know, even so pads were always before, like back in my pre-protection brand days, um, the other brand I was with, it, it was more of a downhill thing. Mm -hmm. And there was the transitioning that was coming where, okay, people are trail riding, bikes are getting more capable. Uh, and you needed a pad that you could ride in more often. And other brands started coming out with lighter weight pads that were uh, more flexible, more comfortable to wear, cooler. Mm -hmm. But there was issues with them. And the biggest issue that we saw, or one of the bigger issues we saw, is that pads didn't stay in place. And mm -hmm. they would slide down or you'd see people climbing with their pads down around their their ankles, their shins or whatever, mm -hmm. them up because they weren't going to stay up on the climbs anyway, or they got hotter. Mm -hmm. um, so we wanted to address that 
thing of the pad staying up, but still being comfortable and still being lightweight and breathable. So we didn't want a lot of, you know, it was back, there was a lot of neoprene pads. They were starting to move to more Lycra, um, but there's still a lot of neoprene from brands. Uh, one of the, the first brands to do a lightweight pedal friendly pad, their pad, and still to this day, their, their one model doesn't meet a C certification of any kind. Um, where all of our pads are C certified. We actually do more C level two pads than any other brand in the world right now. And the great could thing you, about it is- Could you real quick explain what that certification is so people understand? Yeah, yeah. So th this is interesting because this one, at, in my days of product development at a previous brand, um, C was coming about over in Europe. In the US, there's no certification for protection um, mm -hmm. as elbow pads, body armor like there is in Europe. Europe, you have to meet a certification just like you do helmets here. Okay. So it's like an ANSI kind of thing, but for yeah. that. Yeah. And, and what it is, the CE, at first it was really challenging when they, they first started doing CE because to me, the standards, step back a little bit, there's no CE certification for bikes per se. Mm -hmm. So what they do, the CE organization, whatever you call it, they pick what they think is the next closest sport. And it, it was street bike motorcycle racing, <laughs> like street bike. Oh street yeah. And it's it's a different world than. Right. Um, but the CE certification basically says, and there's a level one and a level two, it's how much area it needs to cover for certain areas that you're trying to protect. Mm -hmm. And also how much energy is allowed through. So level one is, the basic CE certification. And um, I, I can't remember what the cutoff is between level one and level two, not that it matters much. Yeah, right. So um, it's basically like I can bump into this thing or I can like smash my knee into it as like mock. Yeah, down. yeah. <laughs> like so somewhere yeah, in between there. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and level two is the higher right. um, certification level. And Got it. So that's why I say, you know, we do a lot of pedal friendly stuff in C level two. Uh -huh. But just change of materials, bending, um, getting rid of this is a crazy one that we still struggle with to to this day. Uh -huh. Is we don't do straps on the majority of our product, mm -hmm. and we we do a lot of events. We go and demo. We have a trailer, and we go to these demo events. Really enjoy them. Um, let people try the product and try to educate them on it. But we do different things with our designs where you don't need those straps. And those straps are just an extra layer that one can cause discomfort and two, it blocks airflow. So it makes mm -hmm. it warmer. You got, if you have material folding over. So the majority of our product is slip on and it just allows a nice thin sleeve. We still have people at the demo events come up and they'll look at our display and yeah, we don't, I'm not really interested. You don't have straps. And they'll show me the pads they're wearing that are slid halfway down their knee. and. Yeah, I have these that don't have straps and they don't stay in place. Yeah. Tell them, you know, what the difference is between ours and theirs. And then say, you know, you don't have to trust me. You can go buy a pair for free and it's your thoughts. And it's, you know, everybody that comes back is like, oh, my God, these are amazing. They didn't move. I've kind of forgot it that I even had them on. And yeah, so that's our, our big advantage, I think, and what we are looking to achieve in designing and developing our, our line of protection when we first started out. Right, right. Um, so when you initially started, then it was just, you said knee pads and elbow pads, which um, 
I really thought it was interesting the way that you were saying, you know, you kind of saw that change coming because mm-hmm. as a guy that, I mean, I'm mid forties. So as a guy that grew up, you know, in a time where, you know, you made fun of the kid in the street that had to wear a helmet, you know, it's like <laughs> a lot of us, you know, grew up mountain biking, you know, as the sport was growing and nobody wore pads. So yeah. to even for me to get to the point where I wanted, where I started wearing knee pads, it really took like, I don't know how many accidents of having my elbows and my knees, like just pulverized, you know, until I started, started to accept it. So as a brand to notice that that was coming and seeing that, I mean, that's pretty rad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I'm the same way I grew up. I'm an old school BMX racer, rider, you know, we had dirt jumps in my backyard. I grew up back East. I, you said you were from Pennsylvania too, right? Yeah, I am. Are you from PA? I am. Yeah. yeah. All right. Where at? I'm from southeastern side. The the town I actually grew up in, nobody probably ever heard of. Uh-huh. Um, I always tell people that don't know the area that I'm from, Philly. Uh-huh. I actually grew up in a small town called Windcap. Oh, okay. Below the Poconos. Oh, okay. I know where the Poconos are for sure. Yeah, but Windgap, yeah, so I'm not so sure about. <laughs> halfway between Philly and New York City, I when I fly back to visit parents. Yeah, I can fly into either airport and same drive. I always like to tell people I'm from South Central PA. South it just Central. makes me sound <laughs> <laughs> makes me sound gangster. Yeah, it just makes me sound rough, man. <laughs> so yeah, South Central York originally. So where at York, like the peppermint patty? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah so just north of Baltimore, basically. There was a big BMX thing back in the day. Dork from York. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> I was. A- big BMX person back in the day, but yeah, same thing, dirt jumping. Yeah. Work no helmet unless you needed it. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember distinctively there was an accident that I had. And I mean, it hasn't been that long. I mean, I, I would say it's probably within the last five years. And I remember laying in bed that night, I had both my knees wrapped up and both my elbows so that I wouldn't be like bleeding all over the sheets through the night. Yeah. And I just remember like laying there watching TV and then thinking, what the hell are you doing, dude? Like, seriously, like just put pads on, you know, like, and since then I've, you know, I've, I've used a lot of different pads and um, it's one of those things now, or even on the rides where I'm like, I don't need pads for this. I'm like, Oh, I feel like this is the one time where I'm going to like, you know, do whatever. And so they're basically like knees and elbows. I pretty much wear them all the time. I also get poison oak a lot. So oh, yeah. having that extra layer between is like, it really works out. And um, yep. yeah, I, yeah. I don't ride without knee pads. It's like, if I don't have my knee pads, it's like, I don't have my helmet, which I yeah wear without a helmet anymore. And yeah, I said, they're, they're just, to me now, they've come a long way. They're so much more comfortable. Yeah. Um, same place. And now here in Colorado, our rides are, you, you start at the bottom and you climb for 40 minutes or an hour. Yeah. yeah it, that's a California ride too. I mean, yeah. I'm in Northern California now right. and uh, yeah, hundred percent, dude, you just like get out, climb for 45 minutes and descend for five or 10 and do yeah. it again, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I throw my pads on at the beginning of the ride and ride in them the entire time. I don't slide them down and they're just, uh, to me, they're comfortable and, you know, you don't think about them once you have them on. So I, I, um, had a set of Fox pads that I really liked the Enduro ones. Yeah. And, um, I was in Phoenix riding before Sedona. I think this was last year. And I took this spill. And when I took the spill, 
the knee pad, you know, hit the first rock, did its job. But as mm -hmm. I, my body was twisting, the knee pad slid. And the next rock that I hit, I cut my, my leg open pretty good yeah. because the whole pad shifted. Right. right. And, um, I ended up buying a set of your Sam, Sam Hill pads. Yep. And when I, when I put those on, I was instantly like, man, I wish I had these like a day ago because the protection on those for a, a pull up pad mm -hmm. is really, really good. Like yeah. there's a lot of pad itself. And then there's like additional foam pad, let's just say outside of the, like the body forming gelish part. I don't know how to explain right. it, but, yeah. um, and it, so it really gives a really good wide protection path, but yeah. it's still a super breathable knee pad. Like you can put it on ride all day and, and yeah. it's, it's really, it's really impressive how you guys pulled that together. That, that, um, partnership, did you, you have that design kind of together before you started working with Sam Hill or how did yeah. that, how did that go? So that one, um, and the Sam Hill is my favorite. It's the one I ride in. I always tell people I probably ride in 99% of the time. Uh -huh. I ride in knee pads all the time. Um, so it was loosely based off of the transition knee pad. Mm -hmm. And very similar. The, the main difference is the wraparound. But through the development of the Sam Hill knee pad, we ended up changing a few other things with just the construction. And we made those changes um, to the transition then too. But it started off as an idea around the transition and working with Sam um, to kind of bring more of what, what he was looking for. And we, we knew we wanted something with more coverage on the side for, um, you know, I, I use my knees when I ride a lot, like it's a seat or sometimes you just bang against the top tube. And it's something that we wanted. And then in talking to Sam about it, he was on the same page. So we, did that back and forth with him to get to where the Sam Hill knee pad is. Mm -hmm. And I said, it did prompt a few little changes within our transition knee pad that we did as a, a running change too. Cause we just, we changed the design a little bit internally, even it's, it's a sleeve. It sounds simple, but we did some other things on it to help keep it in place better mm -hmm. through all that development with Sam. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Kind of working hand in hand with them. I don't know if it's just where I've looked to shop, but I, as far as the elbow pads in that set, it's mm -hmm. like Sam Hill light. Is there a, a, a not light version of the elbow pads or yeah. there plans for that? Well, the transition elbow pad is what we say goes along with the Sam Hill knee pad. Oh, okay. The Sam Hill knee pad is a level two uh, knee pad. Uh huh. Um, I don't want to say any names or anything, but the F word that you mentioned earlier, they don't do a level two in their line at all. Okay. Um, so the Sam Hill is a level two. So it is actually more protection than what you were using previously. Yeah. Plus with the wraparound, it gives you a little bit extra protection. So in the elbow, the transition elbow is what really matches up with the Sam Hill knee uh -huh. pad being a level two, that 3D molded cup inside. Uh, on the elbow, we didn't feel the need to do the wraparound, you know, as, to have an additional model with mm -hmm. that extra protection. Cause a lot of times when you crash on your elbow, it's you're hitting your elbow. It's not, you're not banging it against frames and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, like you are with the, right. 
So does the other one match? Come all about the matchy matchy man. If it doesn't match, yeah. <laughs> See, I'm. Uh, I, I shouldn't say this, being a, a part owner and a protection brand. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a big elbow fan. Yeah, or elbow pad fan, and I have to say I've tried so many brands over the years through development and just testing uh -huh. and things like that. And the Samuel Light is the elbow pad I wear when I do wear elbow pads. Yeah, isn't very often, but bike park days. Yeah, know, what bike park I'm at, I'll throw some elbow pads on. Yeah, and I like the slim, you know, kind of streamlined. You don't notice it's there. Mm -hmm. Type fit and feel to it. I would say for me, when I wear them, um, which is most of my rides, it's just because I've I've had these accidents where, you know, on these huge like big rock rolls or something like that, where I feel like I would have shattered my elbow right. by the way that I fell by just slamming it into something. And then outside of that, it also gives you that like little bit of forearm protection where I have a buddy like on every other, every couple of weeks basis, he's got these like huge, like, you know, <laughs> took all the skin off his forearm scratches. Right. And, and I'm always telling him, dude, just wear an elbow pad. Like, it's not like you're like, all you're going to do is rip your pad instead of your skin and you keep right. doing this, you know, it's like, to me, those are the 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 kind of the the, the reasons that I wear them most of the time. Yeah. The the, uh, the like kind of extra benefit is that you know that poison oak protection that I was talking about. Yep. I I, I um, will say one of the things out of elbow pads that I've worn, the ones that go higher into your armpit are the ones that I I prefer more than others. Because yeah. I, I've really found that like. What happens if you get these short ones, I end up getting like sunburn on the back of my tricep, you know, or it just looks stupid. like, yeah, it just kind of looks dumb, you know, like, like aesthetically, you look like weird, like you got a t-shirt on and a little patch of skin and then your pad. And I don't know. I, I, I like those other ones that are higher. I just feel like they stay in place better. And, right. uh, yeah. and then my other reasons are just like purely aesthetic. Like I just, oh, it doesn't look as bad. So, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's one of the things it's a good point and you know we don't go as long as the elbow pads as what we do on our knee pads but our knee pads that's one of the design features that helps them stay up really well as we do longer and there's other brands that are starting to follow mm -hmm. you know, our, our lead now on that but the way legs are shaped if you have that short sleeve you get down on the end of your quad there and if it slides at all there's nothing holding anymore where the longer sleeve you get up to where your leg is a more consistent diameter and it just helps those pads stay in place so much better on the, the leg. And on top of that, if you wear a short liner, uh, ours are designed, you're actually supposed to pull the pad up first. So that's against your skin, pull the short liner over top of the pad. That's typically how I wear mine. Yeah. And that's what helps them stay up. Arms are a little bit different shape because they, they almost funnel down, you know, from top to bottom. Right. Over your sleeve definitely helps that a little bit just by having more surface area there, you know, the pad against your arm. Um, but yeah, that was one of the, the big things with knee pads was to do the longer sleeve to help with, mm -hmm. with that. Um, even the, the bottom sleeve of our knee pads, like it goes down below the, the protection more mm -hmm. than it has to. But that's designed that way to be, you can use that as an adjustment. So you just take that bottom cuff and slide it up and it gets tighter in your legs and really holds those knee pads in place well. Yeah, I know some guys will kind of tend to pull the back of their pad like on the higher side of their calf. 
yeah so that it really like locks it more into place so yeah how do you guys choose what um like rubbery material is on the inside of the the pad itself to kind of help pull it, pull it into place i've noticed with some brands i don't know if i have some kind of like aversion to latex or something like that but like some brands of the knee pads and elbow pads that i've worn whatever that rubber is like when i'm wearing it all day long it'll irritate my skin where other brands don't like is there anything is that you just kind of like how Are do you just the rubber and not the material because i know people that have like neoprene allergies and things like that but wouldn't they, that, that would irritate like everywhere right yeah, depending on the construction of the yeah. Pattern. To me, I think it's whatever the rubber is because I, I yeah. feel like that's what it. I don't know because it's like only where that band is, like the top band would be like what bothers me. And I have another friend that I was talking to about it, and he he had mentioned he has a similar similar issue. So I wasn't, but it, I don't notice it with all pat all brands. And yeah. off yeah. the top of my head, I don't I don't think I had a problem with yours, but I'm just yeah. trying to like. Um, understand you know how that comes about is it like a standard of what people choose or you know no so there's there's three main um manufacturers of the the type of padding that hardens on impact mm -hmm. um and then some of them we even do like you'll see some brands where they'll call it their own thing and some of the the, the i'm gonna call it the padding brands out there allow you to do that. You can change shapes, colors, call mm -hmm. your own thing. They don't care. Um, where other ones, they they brand themselves and they want they want their brand to be front and foremost. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess I can say D3O. Everybody knows D3O. Or yeah, yeah. And they're they're very good at branding. Like they their brand is well known. Where the other two um more popular foams that harden on impact they don't really care about their brand they're just trying to make good foams and yeah you can change it you know we had the option on what we use and for all, all of our pads the the foam padding inside is removable for washing yeah even maintenance if you do something damage it somehow in a crash um we can replace that for you and you can swap that out uh we chose the the foam that we use solely based on performance mm -hmm. we we wanted something that worked and that's why we wanted every one of our pads to be ce certified even our lightweight sam hill lights um and really that that was the the main the main reason there's no other yeah. that's also one of the big reasons we have more ce level two pads than anybody else that's definitely interesting. Uh, the the padding that you're talking about there is not what I was talking about um, having a like a, a reaction to. It's more like whatever latex is like woven into or sewn into the actual like band that holds it up or holds oh, right. it like at the top of the leg. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like some different brands will have like you'll see like little strips of like white kind of so the silicone gripper yeah whatever it is yeah, yeah. That, that stuff for some reason because i don't think yours has that yours has more like a like it's into the material if i remember correctly yeah we we have it it's um this little one here has a on the table uh we do have silicone grippers on the, the yeah bottoms of the elastic bands that go across it and it's it's a silicone a little bit of the design can affect that comfort level too 
Yeah. Uh, if you have too much of it, it definitely can get irritating on long days where it'll just, it, it rubs on your leg. And also it's a little bit with the design of the pad itself. If you've got a little bit shorter sleeve or a sleeve that's a little looser and allows a little bit extra friction um, to be created in your leg and that, that's going to create irritation. So it could just be the movement then. It could not, not even be the material itself. Yeah, well, it could be a little, you know, it's how much material is there too. Like if you use too much of it, it's going to be it, yeah. it can issues. We Got try it. to do thin little strips. That way it's not overbearing. So it's enough yeah, yeah. without creating that discomfort or friction burn essentially is what it what it really uh -huh. does. Um, That's interesting. But yeah, yeah. It's it's itself. No, sorry. I thought you were talking about the, the protection padding. No, aspect. it was rad to hear that though too. So that was pretty cool as, too, yeah. as well. I, I didn't really think about, you know, the companies that create the different foams. I, I kind of assumed that they were all the same, but yeah. I mean, obviously that doesn't make sense. So 3DO is actually a company itself on its own. It's not like specific to the, I, I can, I'm thinking of the, the one brand that I see that written on all the time, but yeah. I, so yeah, they're, they're a brand and they're, they're probably the most recognized brand of the protective padding because they do a really good job of marketing. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually the first person to, to use that in mountain bike protection um, back at a previous company I worked at. Oh, right on. They approached us and, you know, we went down the road of exploring it and we were the, the first ones using that protection padding at, a previous brand that I was doing product development at. Mm -hmm. um, and they give you all kinds of marketing material. They give you all kinds of hang tags to hang all over your pads if you're using it. And, mm -hmm. and they, they do a great job of marketing for sure. And people know that and, and recognize it, which I think, you know, might help some other brands uh, just because they, they recognize that too. Mm -hmm. of the brand that they're possibly buying. Mm -hmm. But again, when we were starting seven and discussing it and what the product was going to be and what our goals were for the product, we didn't want to compromise protection in any way, shape or form. And it wasn't about trying to ride off of, you know, a, a paddings. Yeah. Brand, yeah. Yeah. But just the best possible material. So right. you, you can pull our padding out and you can see the brand that it is. I got one loose over here, so it's all removable. Um, this is what we use in the majority of our C level two stuff, but this comes from a company called Sastech, mm -hmm. and all they do is make foam, you know, padding that hardens on impact and mm -hmm. shapes. And um, again, they don't the average person, other than if they pull these out or see them and some stuff, they just don't know this brand of padding because right. they don't. This company doesn't care about marketing in their own brand. Right. right. Their, their goal is just to develop foams that protect really well. Right. So they're a company. They probably make pads for like football uniforms and all kinds of other stuff as well. They, yeah, all of them do a lot of different yeah. things. Yeah. You know, I, I think D3O started out making, no, it wasn't D3O. Um, but they, one of their big things was like cell phone cases back in the day. And, oh, yeah. You know, they do baseball stuff, different ones. Like they do military stuff. It's does yeah. that material get, get messed up if it's like washed and dried and like, say somebody didn't realize they can take them out and they threw them in the washer. No, what are, 
sorry, my, my East coast accent there, water, um, <laughs> the, the water and soap doesn't really do much to it. It's more temperature. Um, so, that'll so do putting it. them in the dryer is really bad or no, it's more coldness than heat that, that causes oh, wow. any kind of issues. And all the materials are like that. They'll all harden a little bit. Any of the viscoelastic type, they're going to harden when it gets cooler. Um, I wash my personal pads with the foam in it. I uh -huh. don't take them out. Uh, we suggest you take them out for washing. We suggest you hand wash. I do all the opposite. Yeah. Um, part of it just kind of see how how things hold up too. Right. Well, on my side, um, and I I use the same pair of Sam Hill knee pads for two years typically before I get myself a new pair. Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of crazy considering I sitting here with a warehouse full of them right. uh, but <laughs> it, it just yeah they last me that long so no that's not really an issue washing them itself the cold water uh will make it more brittle mm -hmm. just because it, it does get a little bit harder when it's cold mm -hmm. um but that's the only thing same thing you know we tell people about these and we have some people that will reach out to us sometimes and say oh my pads are really stiff or what uh -huh. happens no winter if you leave these in your garage or somewhere that's not heated your car on a cold day they get pretty solid yeah uh, you stick them in you know just the windshield of your car somewhere in the sun in your house you put them on your body they warm up and start getting really flexible again yeah yeah they they were the material reminded me a lot of the material that was on the the cali pads i don't know if it's the same one or not but like when I would explain it to my friends, I would say, usually when you put them on, they're kind of, they're kind of hard, but as right. soon as your body warms them up, like they're, they're super pliable. Where like, um, maybe like the 3DO that's in the Fox ones, they don't, they don't have to, it doesn't seem like it has to warm up, but, yeah. um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not to me, it's, if, if you understand that, you know what I mean? So like when I was in the shop testing it out, I put it on, I, in my head, it wasn't like, like, Hey, I'm not buying these because they're stiff, but I can see somebody else possibly like coming to that conclusion and not right. realizing like, hey, it has to warm up. Like the AC's, you know, rocking in this bike shop right now because it's 100 degrees outside. You know, like yeah. so. Um, but th that's definitely a good point to bring up. You know that that the heat, you know, warms them up and they they definitely are a lot more pliable. I was just not sure if I was ruining them by throwing them in the washer, but seeing as how that's the way you're doing it. So <laughs> it is, like I say, our care instructions, we suggest you take it out. And I say every one of our pads, you can remove the, the foam padding. I um, will say with the Sam Hill, the elbow pads, yeah, I would always question which way I was supposed to put them back in. I'd be like, is it the, yeah. like the design, does it go this way or does it go that way? Like is the, cause there's like a material side and then there's like this weird honeycomb shaped side. Yeah. 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 So, so that's, does the material go to your elbow or away from your elbow? So this part goes against your body. Okay, the, the honeycomb bendy spot yeah, goes towards yep. your body. And it's for different reasons. So with this type of pattern that it has in it, if you fold it this way, it opens up more gaps. And this is pretty small um, pieces. It's not like big chunks of foam. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's some, there's some other pads out there that use bigger square things. And you fold them back like this on your body and it just opens up gaps for stuff rocks and right things, yeah um so where when it folds in like this it closes all those gaps up oh yeah okay so that makes sense 
Yeah, so it's designed for that part to be against your leg. So when you slip it into the pad, this would go towards the front outside of the pad. Got it. Go Got against it. your body. Just uh, but yeah, it's a, it, it's something, and they come that way, and you don't think about it, and it's maybe something we need to make a little more clear. Uh, yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just start ripping stuff out with the throat in the wash, and you don't. Yeah. Like, now you rip it out. Print on their face towards enemy or something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a weirdo. I'm kind of OCD. So I take stem bolts out of stems and I put them in the same hole they came out of. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so you have a bunch of different, so the Sam Hill is the the line particularly that we we're talking about, but you have something that's more protective than that, something that's less protective than that. Well, yes and no, because CE level two is the highest you can go as far as protection goes, but we have a few different things. Um, the pad sitting over my, my left shoulder, no, right shoulder. I can't tell from the <laughs> video screen here. It uh, doesn't matter for the people that are listening, so. <laughs> but we have our, our project knee pad. Uh-huh. Um, and that was released the same year as the Sam Hill knee pad. Uh, we actually won a design and innovation award for that at Eurobike that year for that one. It's, it's pretty unique to what's on the market. But, again, it's a CE level two. It has protection that surrounds it. The main difference between that and the Sam Hill as far as protection goes is that we do a soft um we call it a flexible hard shell mm -hmm. so it's almost just like a harder rubber on the front of the kneecap there mm -hmm. and it'll still fit around your leg and give you a slim fit but it does help a little bit when you're riding on you know sharper rocky type terrain mm -hmm. the forces out when your knee hits a, mm -hmm. a rock like that and it also allows you to slide a little bit easier mm -hmm. when you hit the ground because of having more of that hard shell. So, yep. yeah, as far as that goes. Um, what was the product line of that one? The project. The project. Okay. Me, yeah. Yeah. Project yeah. Um, that one, another well, unique thing was the sleeve on that. So it's actually a compression material. And, you know, we designed it to have compression in certain directions in certain areas to give a nice snug fit um but not restrict you at all for pedaling mm -hmm. the material is a little thicker and a little a little bit more durable and probably a little bit warmer compared to the sam hill mm -hmm. uh, we kind of use it as it's kind of that enduro to bike park pad mm -hmm. um i think matt walker was running that one this past weekend when he won the the world cup oh nice project for that right on yeah um and um, so there's that. And then the, our flex knee is our downhill knee pad. And that has a full on hard shell within the sleeve itself at the front of the uh -huh. sleeve. So it's a soft covering on it, but it's got a hard shell inside. And again, the idea behind that is on the rockier terrain, uh -huh. it helps disperse the forces a little bit more of a pointy um, rock. Do you make stuff down to like kids sizes or is it all for adults or? No, no. So that's kind of interesting. We're actually um, one of the few. So we've been doing youth for a little while, but then we launched a kids range, mm -hmm. and the kids range goes down to like a two year old on a on a balance bike. Mm -hmm. I actually got one of those sitting in front of me here. Oh wow! Right on. Yeah, so it's a little thing, and it's interesting because our our kids line they're all CE certified, all the same level of certification as as the adults. We don't cheap out on any materials it's all the same exact thing as the adult line mm -hmm. just in a youth version 
in kids, it's a little different because kids, there is no CE certification. Right. It just doesn't exist. So we can't say they're CE certified because it doesn't exist. Right. But yeah, we do uh, kids' knees, kids' elbows. We do youth helmets for full faces. Um, we even got, this is like one of the youth suits that we have. And again, this is something we designed with an Enduro team of ours in the past. And, so those uh, of you guys are listening, it's a shirt with a chest pad. It looks like some elbow or some shoulder kind shoulder. of pad protection and then a back plate on it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's our uh, suit is what we call it. And uh, again, it's all the same. It's got the little stash pockets in the back, like the adult version does, which the Enduro team wanted for mm -hmm. you know, stashing extra parts and bottles and food. And uh, it's got the removable back plate, the removable shoulder pads. So you can customize it a little uh, port for a, a hydration pack, a hose to come through it if you want to remove that back plate and put a hydration pack in there. And oh, wow. Okay. Again, the youth is, it's got all the same features that the adult one has. Um, well, that's pretty cool. So you could have a, a protection shirt that is carrying your bladder in it, basically. Yeah. Yep. For hydration. And then just wear your like regular jersey on top of it. And then you're like, yeah. 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 So it's like suits, a tighter fitting suit. So it fits tight against your body and you can stash stuff in it, including uh -huh. like you said, a bladder with a, a hose coming out of a port. That's pretty cool. Somebody yeah. asked earlier that there, there was a change in the back protection of the, the, the shirts. Yeah. Yep. They were wondering why that was, or was there a design reason or just thought it looked cooler? Or? Yeah, it was interesting actually. So what we did is we actually reduced the sizing of the back plate uh -huh. in the back. And it's funny because it was something our, our racers were looking for because some of the EWSs they're required to wear back protection, but they want, you know, the, the slimmest, lightest back protection that they can get. Right. So we reduced the back plate to the CE minimum uh -huh. and for coverage. And, you know, we, we did realize after the fact that that's not what everybody wants. Mm -hmm. And we were in a weird spot with it because at the time up until current time, we only have one suit. Mm -hmm. And it was this, this one that we did where me personally, I, I like the smaller back protector. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our riders were asking for that for the long stages they were doing and climbing and everything where we started hearing from some consumers that they want the bigger back protector. They want that extra protection. Mm -hmm. And really the answer to that is that we need to, and it's coming is to have a suit line, not just one suit to cover all areas. So we need that lightweight um, protector that a racer so might want to get through and, yeah. you know, the certifications and what they need to do. So like the same kind of idea that you would run with pads. It's like, I want a, a, sh a shirt that has a chest and a back protection. That's like the, the, barely minimum but it's gonna keep me from you know ripping the skin all the way to the the kind of full-on downhill protection so it's what yep. you're kind of explaining right so yeah yep, yep. Right. exactly we that's have six different knee pads yeah for, for different needs and we need more suits for different needs and that's something that we've we realized and 
Yeah. yeah, I've seen some stuff like in the motorcycle lineup where it's like it'll be as like like almost like a spider web of material with just pads in it. So it's right. like super breathable. Or then later you can get into stuff where it's like, you know, a, a, a freaking wetsuit with pads in it, you know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I could definitely see that like trickling down. You, yeah. you, um, you said earlier that you guys started out with this molded helmet and yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that you mentioned that because you moved away from it later. We did. So we still have some of those in our line, but we're, you know, we're, we're going down the path now and COVID, unfortunately, it slowed us down a lot. Um, helmets were one of our toughest areas during COVID as far as supply goes and manufacturing and along with that development. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, you know, moving forward, we're, we're doing our own designs and helmets. And we have like the Project 23 is one of our our full face helmet, that's our own design and mm -hmm. um, development. And we've got more things, you know, coming down the pipeline that's ours. And that's the direction we're going. The, the in-mole or not in-mole, sorry, the um, off the shelf style helmet is what we started out with. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it, it was again, to test the waters and everything. It just, it took us a little bit longer to come out with some of the stuff um, than we were originally planning because of COVID. So you guys are doing the in molding now or? So, well, sorry, I, I'm just so I understand your question, meaning that we have our own more of our- Like isn't there in molding is like a different, it's like putting like two different types of foam inside of the, the helmet. And but you're, yeah, sorry, you're talking about construction and it's a little bit different. I said open mold. Oh, okay, oh, okay. I said open mold is like a an off the yeah 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 I'm sorry I changed gears yeah <laughs> in mold is a, a type of helmet construction which we have in mold for our trail helmets uh huh um, we've had this long long debate here about in mold full face helmets mm -hmm. uh, and when we came out with our project 23 that was a, a long project and we talked to a lot of our riders. Um, even though they weren't wearing our helmets just for feedback and they didn't want an in-mold style helmet for racing EWSs because they they saw them breaking and they're just not as protective as a hard shell helmet. Oh, okay. So like when we launched our project 23 helmet, our goal behind that, and again, kind of going along the lines with our protection is we wanted to prioritize protection mm -hmm. over anything. Um, the, the project 23, our goal with that helmet when we were designing it and developing it was to do a really breathable, as light as you can get, hard shell helmet instead of doing mm -hmm. the old helmet. And uh -huh. that, that's what we we came out with. And I still believe that our, I have to check and see if anything changed, but our, our Project 23 ABS, I think is the lightest hard shell helmet on the market that meets um, ASTMF 1952, the, the downhill. Uh -huh. impact and really that helmet's not far off a lot of the in mold it's actually it is right there with some of the in mold full face helmets that are on the market right now uh-huh but our struggle in the in mold was like i see where i think an in mold full face is good for trail applications mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of people see, oh, it's a full face helmet. I'm going to go ride the bike park or race downhill in it. Mm -hmm. And that's not what those helmets are made for. Mm -hmm. And that's a little bit of the concern in trying to have people understand that if you're doing that type of riding, you want a hard shell helmet. If you're going trail riding, then yeah, an in-mold construction helmet is is good, you know, if you can get a lighter mm -hmm. version of it. So, but our, our trail helmets are in-mold and, you know, will be in-mold mm -hmm. because that's, that's the standard for trail helmets, really. Yeah. Do you guys plan on doing some kind of detachable face or? Uh, that's another one of our <laughs> internal debates for several years now. Yeah, I can say when I talked to Brad from Cali, he um, his his opinion at the time was I, I just don't think it's safe. Yeah, and he wants he wanted it to be as safe as possible. So, yeah, it, I would assume that's the argument that you're having is like safety over versatility, or it, it is. Yeah, it's something that we look at it is the safety aspect of it and what it does to the helmet. It's kind of a compromise. I, I think mm -hmm. to have a detachable helmet. And I think some brands have done it well for more of a gravity esque type mm -hmm. style helmet. Um, and it's funny because if you look at the prices of some of those helmets, you can almost buy two helmets that are purpose built. Yeah. You know, depending on what you're, what you're looking at. This is what I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that'll protect you as well, if not better. Yeah. Because of that. So the first one I ever had was from Bell and, um, it was a great full face helmet, but it was a crappy half shell. Yeah. Like it was just too big and bulky and whatever. And what I found from owning that was I really only used it as a full face. Right. And that kind of like set my mind later on down the road where I was like, I don't really care about a detachable yep. because I either want one that's like, this is the full face that I want. Like it's breathable enough or it like, I can squeeze drinks into my mouth easy enough or whatever it is, you know? Yep. And then on the other hand, then the half shell that I actually want because I never, I never really actually found myself using it like the the way that the marketing campaign would make you imagine you do it you know like yeah. like oh i'm gonna take the chin off i'm gonna climb this hill and then i'm gonna pop it back on and go you know and it's like no i'm either like full-on full face or not you know yeah and, and that's why it's funny because we see around here it's crazy like there's more and more people wearing full face helmets trail riding than there ever was before and you see some in like moto helmets and everything. I'm like, how do you do that? Like I, I would be dying. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, they either use it one way or another. And I heard, I had this discussion with some other people, both consumers and distributors and they're like, well, it's nice. It's versatile. You know, for the one time a year you go to the bike park and, and, but okay, that helmet is not made to go to the bike park. You're, right. you're better off. You know, if you go one time a year and you don't want to buy a full face, rent one yeah you know our our project 23 abs is 106 dollars retail um we do our m1 it's 110 dollars retail like you can buy one of those and it'd be worth it for the one or two times a year it's it's less than you're going to pay for lunch <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know if you're doing a bike park vacation. right 
Yeah, for sure, man. They're, they're gouging you like the ski resorts, right? Right. <laughs> Fifteen dollar beers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's kind of my argument against that. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say, I don't say you. You'll see from us a dedicated lightweight full face trail helmet before you see a, a removable chin bar. Yeah. I think that's the way to go. I really do. I, um, I personally don't have a need for a full on DH helmet, you know, like that meets all the standards. But what I do have a need for is sometimes I'm going to a place like Downeyville where mm-hmm. it's, you know, miles and miles of just, you know, hauling ass riding and I want a little bit of protection to make sure I don't knock all my teeth out. Right. Yep. You know what I mean? But I still want that thing to breathe like hell. And like, yep. and I think that's the market that that's really appealing probably to the biggest group of riders that there's a lot of people out there that are, you see riding those full face on like enduro kind of rides and they're really doing it just because they want that little bit of protection, but there's no like midpoint, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, it's great. Like out here, some of the rides that we do, just our local rides, we're we're going higher speeds than we do at some of the bike parks here. Yeah. And on terrain, it's probably rougher on some of them too. Right, right. And, you know, I go back and forth about wearing a full-face trail riding. Yeah. And the e-bike market is interesting too because it's, it's less – I don't want to word it like you're still doing work, but you're doing a little less work for sure. And you're going at a higher speed regardless of the work you're doing. Yeah. You're just, or you're, you're able to reach those speeds and maybe where your fitness level might not have got you there. Yeah. You know, but it's what, yeah. Just saying on the climbs, like you're, you know, you're going faster on climbs, which the ability of a lightweight fully vented full face Mm -hmm. becomes a non-issue almost wearing a full face versus a regular. Right. There's some benefits to the full face. I know every time I wear one, like goggles are just so much better than sunglasses. Right. You know? Yep. I and can't I'm wear pretty... sunglasses. Huh? I can't wear sunglasses when I ride. Oh, really? Yeah, but goggles I wear all the time when I have a full face on. Every time I put my goggles on, I'm I question why I ever wear sunglasses because <laughs> I'm one of those guys that just sweats ridiculously. And it's not a problem when you're wearing goggles, like just the way that all the foam is on the goggle. It just like, it's not going into your eyes. It's not splashing onto your goggles. You know, it's just like, you can sweat all you want, you know? Yeah. And with, with glasses on, it's like, I wear a headband. I got to like ring that thing out every so often because it just turns into this like waterfall of sweat coming into my, my glasses. And that always seems to happen like in the middle of a super technical downhill. And now you got this like wavy vision spot through the middle of your eye, you know? And, but uh, yeah, maybe I should just go full on Enduro bro and wear the goggles all the time. Yeah. See, I can't wear goggles with a, a, a standard trail helmet. I, I feel too Enduro. And yeah, yeah. So I, I, I tried it once and I, I didn't like the feel of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've done it once. And, uh, I think it was more like it was just a hot day and I wanted to be able to still like use my, my, my water bottle or whatever. But, um, 
Yeah, it's it's interesting though. But the other thing I was trying to get at too was that because of the age range that I am, it's really hard for me to get myself to wear a full face. And I keep telling my like I noticed it with my friends as well. It's like, oh, well, I'm not wearing the full face. We're not doing anything serious. Yeah. But then we're going ripping like 20 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour down some rocky terrain next to a cliff. Right. And and I keep getting to the bottom and thinking to myself, like, what is it like? When is it enough? You know, like, yep. and I think that's where that 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 midpoint helmet really kind of comes into play, you know? Yeah. Maybe it helps me like get past that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel I'm like same age as you and I, I feel the same way. Yeah. And more responsibilities and everything. And so I came from the ages of not wearing helmets. Right. I was racing and had to, but. <laughs> to, Do you guys have some kind of MIP system or something like that? That's uh equivalent kind of for you or your helmets or. Uh, yeah. MIPS is a, a sensitive. I got to be careful. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I understand. Uh, subject with me. Um, we, we did a lot of research on MIPS and there's other research out there. I, I always mm -hmm. tell helmets.org is a great resource for buying a helmet, no matter what brand you're buying, uh, go there, research the technology used. Um, and they've got some reports up there that Snell actually did, which Snell is a motorcycle certification. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, so when we designed the, the Project 23, again, looking at safety, and we worked with some experts on this, and the most important thing for preventing brain injuries is just taking that energy away from whatever your head hits being transferred to your brain. Uh, MIPS isn't an energy absorption uh, tool, I say. The, the idea behind MIPS for the people that you know, they, MIPS again, they do a great job of marketing, and I think people mm -hmm. understand what it's for. It, it's isn't it more of a side impact thing, though, for MIPS? Yeah, it, it's so it's supposed to create a slip plane. So when you crash, and if it's a side impact, the helmet slides on your head, so it, it creates a way for the helmet to slide, mm -hmm. um, so that it's not jarring your brain because it, it catches, mm -hmm. it doesn't really take away from that energy transfer other than the ability for it to slip a little bit. Mm -hmm. The The Snell study um, found that no matter how tight a helmet fits you, any helmet is going to slide on your head in a crash. Right. Your, your hair is a slip plane. You're, even if you're completely bald, shaved head, your scalp will slip on your head, but the helmet will also slip on your, your skin or your hair. Mm -hmm. So, MIPS, because of the different, both, you know, a little bit of that study and studies from mm -hmm. um, people that we spoke to, you know, brain experts in yeah. development, we we don't feel the need for MIPS um, mm -hmm. particularly. Our, you know, our Project 23, again, when we were developing that, and that was the BSA helmet that could be lighter, used for Enduro mm -hmm. or downhill. That's why we went with a hard shell on it. The hard shell itself will actually absorb a little bit of energy um, mm -hmm. along with the EPS, where you don't get that in an in mold. It's just, it's depending on the EPS. 
uh, a technology that we use, uh, we call it CERT, is it's another layer of energy absorption. Mm -hmm. So it's like a soft foam, you know, almost like what a, a knee pad would be, but mm -hmm. a little bit softer than the knee pads that we use. And it's in a waffle pattern, so it allows it to smash too when your head hits something. And it, the sole purpose of it really is to absorb energy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it sounds similar to Callie's LDL then. It, it, it is a similar concept, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the waffle pattern too, it does allow it to deform and twist and smash a little on your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, too in the case of a crash, but that's not the main purpose of it. Um, yeah, I always kind of questioned that the slipping with the MIPS, just for the reasons that you said, like even like on my own before we had this conversation, I would always think like, well, this helmet, I can like have it on my head and it's going to move all over the place. And I don't know anybody that has their strap to their helmet tight enough that it actually holds their helmet like. Yeah, it would choke like, you firmly on their head like everybody's got like i'm probably two or three fingers you could stick underneath my my strap is basically just keeping it from falling right off of my head right <laughs> like, i'm the same yeah yeah so and so, uh, yeah go ahead i i say yeah and that's part i i agree 100 but mips they do a, a great job of marketing uh -huh. and we, we talked to a lot of our um dealers and they say that people ask for it because of the the, the marketing that they do yeah of course and, and they have data the way they collect their data is a little interesting too and it's talked about a little bit on that mm -hmm. the study that snell did and it's not real world data but from a marketing perspective they they do have people believing that's what they need mm -hmm. by a helmet well, I mean, if it's if it's what's in all the most expensive helmets, then it's easy for people to come to the conclusion that that that's the best. But it doesn't necessarily mean it is the best. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, well, part of the reason those helmets are more expensive is because it's in there too. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they have to pay the 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 uh, the yeah, fee the, to have their product in there. Yep. Yeah. What do you call it? Licensing. That's it. The yeah, licensing fee. So. Yep. Right on, man. Can. Change, change gears a little bit. Where did the name come from? Seven IDP. What was the reason behind that? We, we get asked that a lot. I actually was asked that earlier today by somebody. Um, so the IDP is intelligent design protection. Uh -huh. And the seven comes from when we started that brand, there was seven of us involved in, in the launch of that brand. Mm -hmm. So seven intelligent design protection is where the, the name came right from. On. Uh, not, nothing yeah. too crazy. <laughs> Whenever I say it, for some reason, I always want to say like seven dip. I don't know. It's like, like I have this, like this, this guy inside of me that's like, nope, you're dyslexic. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we get that sometimes. And it's funny because the first time I ever heard it was probably within this last year because we started, yeah. you know, events started opening up and uh -huh. I, I like going to the demos. I have fun. Like Sedona is one I almost always try to hit, although I missed the last two. Uh-huh. Some or the first one because of unforeseen circumstances, but yeah, yeah. Uh I heard it at one of the demo events, somebody is in I'll say, look, seven dip and like nice, yeah. seven IDP. Yeah, yeah. 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 
So you were saying that the Royal brand is kind of like not so much in the US anymore, or is that like some of that accessory or like clothing line? Are you planning on kind of breathing more of that into the seven brand or will it stay separate? No, so it'll stay separate. And that, that was one of the big debates when we started seven too. We have a lot of debates here, as you can probably tell, but uh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> because the easy thing to do would probably have been start protection under Royal. Uh, you know, we had the trademarks globally and mm-hmm. people knew the brand instead of launching a new brand and trying to, to you know, get people to recognize a new brand. Mm-hmm. Um, we want Seven to be an independent protection brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, we only want to do protection. We don't have the, uh, you know, we have gloves in there because gloves are a protective aspect mm-hmm. to them. Or have a protective aspect to them uh but we don't want to do jerseys shorts that type of stuff uh, mm-hmm. we do socks as an accessory and mm-hmm. uh but no there's no no plan to ever move into that it's you know it costs a lot of money to set up a a global trademark on a brand and make sure it's protected and mm-hmm. these not would have been due protection under royal but again having it independent which it, it's, it's double-edged sword really uh it's great when you're working with like, you know, we work with some teams that have their own uh, clothing brand. Uh, we're, we're a sponsor of uh, Specialized Enduro Team. We're a sponsor of Yeti's Enduro Team. Mm-hmm. They both have their own clothing line. So it's great because we're that independent protection brand that can go along with them without stepping on their toes for what they're trying to promote. Where sometimes you get these teams and everything that are looking for a head to toe deal. And it's, it, it's a little bit more difficult to work that out sometimes because of mm-hmm. having brands. Um, but yeah, Royal, you know, cl- clothing is difficult in the U S <laughs> I think clothing's difficult in general. And that was part of my reason. And we're not a giant company, you know, we're not uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the brands that we're going up with are, are huge compared to us. And, with the amount of resources we had, I made the decision to step away from Royal a little bit on the U.S. side, uh, just to focus on Seven because of our limited resources. Clothing is a, a much more difficult business model. You gotta constantly be changing things and keeping it fresh. And you know, a lot of the big players do spring lines and fall lines and mm-hmm. things like that. And um, meeting minimums on certain things. Like if you want to get really creative and really technical on clothing, you get these minimums where you're just, the numbers are huge. And for a smaller company, it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing with clothing is it's really expensive to land clothing in the U S a lot of people don't realize it, but if you're making a, a Jersey in Taiwan or China and importing into the u.s it's a 32 percent duty rate oh wow it's it's expensive to do and for us being a we explored different avenues of doing the clothing but being a global brand it's just taiwan works out and taiwan our china works out really well for getting consistency like we even talked about producing it somewhere within the nafta area even the u.s and but just to have the consistency globally and mm-hmm. um, again, meeting those minimums when we want to 
not just do cookie cutter designs on clothing. You know, with, with Royal, we do. It's not just picking a t-shirt blank or not a t-shirt blank, a jersey blank and mm-hmm. run logos on it. Um, the, the I can say the Royal shirts that I, I, I don't know if it was, it would have been you that I met at Sedona like five years ago or something like that. Probably. Yeah. Was probably yeah. Then it must have, it, I'm assuming it was you that I remember talking to at the first event and you had sent me some product and those Royal shirts that I have from then, they still almost look brand new. Like they're, the quality of them is, is phenomenal. Like compared to any other piece of apparel that I, that I have, like it really blows my mind every time I see them that they're, they're still like in that good of shape. So we, we have one designer for Royal and he's the guy who, he was one of the original founders of Royal mm-hmm. and he really knows his stuff. He, he wasn't formally trained, but he trained himself. And I, I was amazed like working with him. I was over at a factory one time and uh, he chased the, in the sample room, he chased the the lady off the sewing machine and he's this big six, four guy. Like he's pretty tall and everything. And yeah. he sat down to the sewing machine. He looked like a giant from this little Asian lady that was there. And he sat there and he sewed up a pair of shorts just from nothing. You're right. And he's like, this is how I want it done <laughs> and showed it to her. Oh, and just wow. to see him do it on the fly there, like was pretty impressive, but he's, he knows materials really well. He knows patterns really well. And he, he designs all the patterns from scratch. They said, we're not using blanks from, we're not copying anybody. Yeah. And he, he knows the stuff. So it's impressive to see. And the stuff is really good. And we hear that all the time. Like, Oh yeah, I've got these Royal shorts from years ago. And right. it's, I, it's same with me. I've got shorts from back when, so Royal was bought originally um, from Steve Pete at the company that I worked for previously. Mm-hmm. And we bought it from that company after they got bought out by an investment group. Mm-hmm. And uh, back when that company bought it, I, I was like, okay, I need some Royal stuff. And we got some of the original stuff from back then, pre 2007. Mm-hmm. I have some of it. Some of it I, I decided to keep and not ride it anymore kind of as a collector's thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have kind of like this evolution of Royal. Oh, that's cool. I keep, yeah. So that's kind of so, cool. So there's a group of you guys that are involved in this several different businesses. Do you guys like kind of commingle in the spaces or is it like one of the guys doing tag, you're doing seven, somebody else is doing Royal. Like how, how does that break down? No. So we, so we have just one company I shut down. I mentioned I had another company at one point that was doing mm-hmm. helmet. I shut that. I actually shut that down. This is a whole other story we can get into. Um, we went into a merger back in 2016, which the short of it is it went really bad and we pulled back out of it mm-hmm. in 2018. Um, but I shut down that helmet company or the company that was doing helmets under back in 2016. Mm-hmm. So we have one company now. So our, our parent company that we own is Union Sport Group. And then we have our brands within it. Um you know, kind of like craft or what have you that has mm-hmm. um, in the bike industry, Shimano with their different brands. Granted, mm-hmm. Earl got sold recently. Um, and so we're, we run it as one thing. We run it as two separate companies as far as like the UK versus us here in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we we work together in development, planning, marketing, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. From a financial aspect, we're two different companies, I, I should mm-hmm. say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we try to run everything together, and then certain things we do break up in the design world mainly. Like uh, I mentioned about Nick before, and he was one of the founders of Royal, and he's come along Royal through it being sold to the company that we worked for. And then when we bought Royal, Nick came along as part of it. So Nick's focus is, is Royal. Mm-hmm. And again, being a small company, he does do some other things with us. And then, yeah, we have another designer that does seven and concentrates on that. And then mm-hmm. um, he also does a lot of our, our tag design because of his design background. Um, and tag and, is Moto, right? Well, tag is an old Moto brand that we bought and we actually launched a line of cycling components under it oh yeah that's right i did see you guys have some like carbon bars and stems and stuff like that under there yeah yeah so we have bars stems pedals uh we did have saddles and a seat post we since got rid of that we're changing the direction a little bit and we had a lot of new development again that got held up through the pandemic and just the craziness of that and long lead time Mm -hmm you know components and people probably heard this were over two years at certain points through the pandemic for just production oh wow um so yeah we're we're working on growing that brand it just it took a little bit of a um a a hit in development lead times through through the pandemic Mm -hmm. but our our focus on tag is more of the pedals handlebars stems Mm-hmm. We decided to move away from products with moving parts like a C post, dropper C post, and mm-hmm. saddles are just, it's hard. You know, even bars are hard. You look at our bars, they look the same as everybody else. It's actually, it's our own developments. It's not, mm-hmm. again, off the shelf, open mold handlebars. But when you look at a handlebar, handlebars look the same. Yeah. <laughs> most people. We've got some different shapes in the carbons that, you know, is, is unique for us. And, um, but so yeah. it's just like your your how you do your layup for your how your compliance is and things of that and nature. Layup and shape, like we have an ovalized internal on our handlebars, and at the events we have a cutaway of one, so you can kind of see that shape. Mm-hmm. How we ovalize them to give some compliance, but not give up strength and mm-hmm. different things like that. We do some things that are a little bit different, and uh, as far as the markings go on the bars, we have markings not only cut the bars and on the stem to line it up, but also to line up your brake levers and your, your shifters and your dropper lever. So you're getting that all even without, you know, trying to figure that out on your own or. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually nice to have, you know, it's like little things like that, that make things so much easier. Um, there was a brand that I was talking to about some stuff and that was one of the recommendations that I had given them. It's not a, a handlebar, but it was the same thing where it was like, look, man, I don't know how much it costs to put some tick marks on here, but this would make my life a lot easier. You yeah. know, like. Yeah. And so we had a competing brand at our booth as the Otter taking pictures, <laughs> close up pictures of all the, the markings. So yeah, you know, it makes sense. It's something simple and it's not something you can go and patent or anything. One of the yeah. things you're trying to do at the beginning and this ended up, uh, falling a little flat for us was uh, on our stems. We were trying to work with the fork manufacturers to mark steer tubes 
so that you put the stem on and you can line it up with these markings that we had or basically cutaways on the stems. So when you put the stem on the steerer tube and lined it up correctly, the markings would show through. Right. And we, we couldn't get the fork manufacturers on board on that one just because of their production processes. And it, it would have basically slowed them down to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be nice though. I can see what you're saying there. But like, even if it was just a little line, just one at least, you know? And yeah. Yeah. That's what we, we were looking at. We had two little lines the way our thing was. Right. And we did have some of the race teams that we worked with tell us that they actually used it with just a fine tip Sharpie and would mark through it because they're constantly pulling forks off to get serviced and right. that it, it made their lives easier to do that. Right on. So, but yeah, it was just <clears throat> different things. And again, we've got more coming down the road with, with tag. Mm -hmm. Just, it, it didn't, we didn't launch as many new things. We, we did an initial launch to get the brand going in cycling and uh, we haven't been able to expand it as quickly as we wanted to, but things are on the way. It seemed like at Sea Otter, you guys are, are focusing on seven though. Like before the, the booth would be like a little bit of all the products. Yep. And now it seems like the booth is like, it's seven. It is, and Seven's our biggest line, and it's our biggest brand by far mm -hmm. uh, out of everything. And it's a little bit of, you know, on the U.S. side of things, <laughs> I, I, I think in all the decisions, and I, I like to focus on Seven. Mm -hmm. um, tag, you know, being a newer brand, because we had those slowdowns with the new development and everything, there, there's not as much and as exciting stuff right now to talk about on it where I personally, and you know, it, it's almost like picking a favorite kid. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, it, I get more excited about seven and where that's going and what we've got coming down the line and where it's at right now, even, and um, the, just the product in general. So we probably put a little more focus on that. Um, our, our trailer that we have out as you were out of Seattle this past year. Yeah, I was there too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was there that one. I don't think I caught you myself there, but um, yeah, I, I built the trailer out myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a trailer builder on my side. <laughs> what did you think of Sea Otter? It seemed like they are, uh, it was definitely better than, than the last one. Yeah. As far as like the attendance went, but I'm not sure if it like, what, what, I don't know. I want to hear your take on it. Sea Otter is always an interesting one, and it's one of those things. It's not my favorite event to go to. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we always need to go there as a brand. It, it's our most expensive event, and probably most brands' most expensive. It's probably every brand's most expensive event. Yeah, Eurobike maybe. Um, but it's one of those things you, you just need to be there from the media perspective, and you're expected to be there almost. And if you don't show up there. I, I feel like people look at it like, well, what's going on with them? What's wrong? Why aren't they at Sea Otter? Right. Type thing. And we we did the fall one as well as the spring one. I actually enjoyed the fall one a lot more. Yeah. Um, it, it was less hectic. And it, it was better, you know, more one-on-one -on -one time with people that came by the booth. It felt more like a Sea Otter or more like a Sedona. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit without, you know, the, the awesome riding. But right. 
Um, yeah. I, I did ride Santa Cruz for the first time ever in my life, which was crazy on the fall sea otter. Yeah. Uh, but did you get over to demo or did you get to the, 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 the trails that were not to speak about? <laughs> no, I, it wasn't the trails that were not to speak about. Um, because I went there and I, I met up with somebody from Ibis to ride there and uh -huh. I'd never rode with them before. So they had no idea of my riding level or anything. And, uh -huh. um, we went rode some of the more usual trails and I, I at the end of the day, he's like, I should have taken these to this other stuff. He's like, I had no yeah. idea, you know, I didn't want to ask you. And but you rode like flow then or braille or something like that over in demo forest. I'm terrible with trail names. I don't know half yeah. the trail names here other than the trail. Gotcha name of it yeah but, yeah it was, bottom line is you had a good time <laughs> yeah it was fun um yeah you know it was it was fun i, I would have been up for some more challenging stuff yeah. just uh but it was also a good kind of experience yeah. For that. yeah yeah definitely so we were saying though back to the, the sea otter so yeah you so. prefer the 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 other events as far as like the kind of laid back feeling is, would you say Sedona is your favorite or is there another one that's similar? Or? Sedona is my personal favorite and I try to get to Sedona every year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said, I, I missed the last two years or two events, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like the riding there. I like the atmosphere, the people. I think they do a really great job of setting it up. Anybody who's listening, I would say if you can get to go to see Sedona one time, do it. Yeah, uh, I think they do a great job there. For us as a brand too, I, I like demo events a lot. Mm -hmm. I like having the ability to let people try our product out and try our product out on great trails that they can go and have fun on. Mm -hmm. um, so Sedona, yeah, just the way they have the setup there at the park, the concerts, the beer garden. Yeah, man, they have something. There's something special. I, and I keep trying to hear somebody tell me like, you know, Bentonville Bike Fest is, is just as good or like whatever in the Appalachians is just as good. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it doesn't seem like there's another event that nails it the way that Sedona does. Right. You know, and, and at least I haven't heard it yet. So I, um, that's why I was curious, but uh, they, so how do you do that demo then at Sedona? It's like, you have a bunch of pads and when somebody brings them back, you like drop them in the gotta be washed pile or like, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we have a table that we lay them out on. So people come, they get pads, they can pick. We don't demo every single model of our pads because it's just right. between the sizes and so forth. And we we take extra stock in our trailer. And uh, so somebody can come, they can get whatever pad they want. They can try several pads if they want. Um, they grab them, they go out and ride. Uh they come back and we, we lice all the shit out of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's our, that's our sanitizing for the event for that weekend. Yeah. Uh, when we get back, we obviously wash them all. Yeah. One of the things that we do is we, we do offer a, a discounted price on the demo pad. So you demo a pair of pads, you come back, you absolutely love them. We will offer you a discount at the event on that particular pair. So that one, nobody else has to wear them and two, we don't have to take a take them back and wash them. Right. And like I said, we do keep um, extra pads with us, and we're able to refill that inventory if somebody chooses to do that. Which 
I, I probably say nine out of 10 times people go that route because they do like them and they want to go with them. Uh-huh. On occasion, we'll have people that'll demo a couple different models. Um, Sam Hill's our big one, and that's our, our biggest seller at the events. It's our biggest seller in general. Mm-hmm. Sam Hill Light's another one that we demo a lot of. And then the transition pad, depending on the event, we'll take that one with us. Every now and then, we'll take projects with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've taken helmets with us in the in the past to demo and have available. Um, so you don't uh, normally do helmets then? Well, we haven't recently because helmets, we've struggled to stay, you know, keep in stock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, still right now we're, we're struggling a little bit with that. Um, do you see what, a, a light at the end of that tunnel there? Or? We do, we do. And it's, it, it's interesting. And I think a lot of people are experiencing this right now, but we had delays, had delays. And now all of a sudden we've got months of delays coming to us at one time. So the light at the end of the tunnel, actually we've just received some shipments and, some models we have stock or we're starting to get some stock that we have in the warehouse for immediate purchase where the stuff that we don't have yet, we should be caught up in July. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think moving into 2023, we're in pretty good positions there too going forward. And this year is an interesting year because it's almost like a slinky effect. It's like, okay, there was these gaps, this emptiness, and then all of a sudden it's, you know, the slinky's hitting. And it's, you're filling up on stuff mm-hmm. and everybody's filled on the, you know, all levels at the retailer side, at the distributor side. And then I think over the next couple months and as you move into winter, things will start normalizing. Um, I, I worry that certain brands might have, excess and you might see a larger than normal closeout um mm-hmm. season but then i i think that'll work its way through as you go into 23 and i i think 23 is going to return a little bit more back to normal as far as inventory levels and yeah demand levels and things like that more of that yeah yeah that that big uptick from all the people getting into riding and stuff like that is kind of leveling out and yeah. People are getting like the restrictions are, are laxed in all the states now. So people are maybe maybe some people that only got into biking temporarily are kind of falling off. And yeah, like, I guess the whole thing is kind of normalizing. So, yeah, you're feeling like 23 is going to make it seem like it, it's back back to normal. I, I think so. I think it'll stabilize as far as to production and things like that. It's, we were in such weird times with long lead times, you know, it's production lead times over 700 days. And yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, like I I don't even know what I would do if I was running a company that sells products and my supplier told me, yeah, you can get them in two years. Right. And (laughs) yeah, it's like you, you, how do you plan for that for one? Right. And then the second part of it that we experienced was the the suppliers were so busy with other things they didn't want to think about new developments because they couldn't keep up with what was going on in the you know in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's where we had a lot of slowdowns with our new products that we were planning on launching for this year. Um, but yeah, I think 
because supply is catching up a little bit, or not a little bit, I think for the most part, supply is catching up. You still hear these stories. Uh, there was a lady actually stopped in our office today uh, talking about a gravel bike that she ordered a while back, was supposed to get in May, and she just talked to the shop today, and they gave her an update saying that it's not going to be available to October now. Wow. So there, there's still some issues, but I think, again, over the winter, our winter, that it's going to catch up and normalize a little bit through then, and 2023 will be more normal. Are, I, are you guys... Are you guys a brand that like launches at Sea Otter or are you a brand that kind of launches whenever? Or? We're a brand that launches whenever now. And that was okay. another thing, you know, with the clothing, we had to have more of that predicted launch and because you have shorter lead times and everything. And uh, that's why I like seven and tag a lot better from a business model. Uh, it's basically launch whenever, but we do have this backlog of product. Right. And you know, we need to have some planning. It can't be just like a random, like, hey, we're going to launch this now. Yeah. We, we need to know several months in advance because we have to get that information out to our distributors, our export customers, our dealers, mm -hmm. um, make them aware of it and so they can have space and ability to buy it and plan their sales around it and, you mm -hmm. know, do their forecasting. So it's not like a, you know, by the seat of your pants. Oh, yeah. look, done now. Let's, let's throw it out on the market. Yeah. So it's still, you know, years and months in the making, but we don't try to go by a model year or anything to that effect. Um, uh -huh. You know, helmets, we, we change colorways and things like that. The gloves change colors from mm -hmm. here. But, and, and we try to launch that around a certain time, but we don't get too caught on it. If we have a new knee pad that we're working on and the timing just happens where, okay, it's going to be available and in june then that's when it's available mm -hmm. you know for northern hemisphere it doesn't always work out timing wise the best um but for our southern hemispheres it does and it's still you know it still goes into circulation in northern um and still works out but yeah it's we we launch it when we're ready and not wait around or try to hit certain mm -hmm. time right on um you guys have a pretty good warranty on the seven stuff. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so our, our warranty itself is relatively standard where it's a one year warranty against manufacturer defects. And if there's going to be a manufacturer defect <clears throat> out within that year. So we feel that's good, but something that's unique to us that we offer is we offer a lot lifetime crash replacement on all of our product. And that's from all of our brands. And it's a no question asked, thing. So you have a pair of knee pads and this is one of the things we run into with our knee pads more than anything else probably is you get somebody doing a hike a bike section, walking up the hill and they snag their flat pedal pins on the material, which is lightweight in the back for again, com comfort and breathability. They rip it. Um, one, it doesn't, it doesn't compromise the pad, but over time, if they get a bunch of those and they want to replace it under a crash replacement, they can. Um, so our crash replacement program, like I said, is the lifetime of the the product that you have it. And it's essentially 50% off a, a new replacement pair. And it could be something where you upgrade, you know, you have a, um, a Project 23 ABS helmet and you crash it and you want to do a crash replacement on it. Uh, you can upgrade to the carbon helmet at that point if, you know, things have changed for you. You'd be 
your, your writing's progressed and you're, you have more money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you want to upgrade, you can do that. Uh, and it, it isn't no questions asked. You tell people, hey, your dog grabs a hold of it and eats them. We're not going to ask you. Uh, it, it's something where we do want the product destroyed. And a helmet, we typically ask for helmets back. We almost shouldn't say typically. We always ask for helmets back mm-hmm. when the cat case of a crash replacement one, we don't know anybody accidentally getting on a helmet that's damaged and maybe they didn't know, or maybe it's been mm-hmm. through a crash and they don't know. Or, uh, so that's part of it. The other part of it is too, that we want to study, study it and see, you know, did it break? Where did it break? How did it break? Did it do break in the way that it's supposed to break? Mm-hmm. Helmets are designed to break when they crash and it's something we own back with something like pads. Uh, you know, it, it's less of a liability issue, but we also want to make sure that it's a crash replacement. We don't want it going out to somebody else where it's not a hundred percent. So in yeah, the- you're just like, Oh, I wore them out a little bit. I'm going to yeah. give these to my buddy and get a 50% pair from seven. And- right. Right. Okay. So yeah, it was like a, a set of pads or a pair of gloves or something like that. We'll usually ask them, just cut them. Yeah. Cut them in half or something like yeah. that. And you know, if we ever get, there is an occasion where we'll get, broken foam where maybe it was too cold and they tried to bend it to straighten it out or something. And that the case of the foam, it's pretty much a no question to ask if the foam damaged, we send you a new foam for free. Uh-huh. Um, or new, yeah, new padding for, for free. But the, the crash replacement thing is something that's more unique. To yeah. Us. That's super rad. I, I had just heard about it. Not this Sedona, but I think the one before, when I was talking to your guy that was at the event and I was completely unaware. And I, I don't think I, I know of another brand that does that with their, their pads. I mean, I think that's, that's uh, really cool because these things are expensive and sometimes, you know, it is just like what you said. It's like, you know, you're, you caught your pedal on the back of your pads and maybe you only had them for two weeks and you like rip the whole back end of it over open. And you're like, well, there goes 90 bucks, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. You know, hopefully a case like that doesn't happen. That would be <laughs> right. Most of the times when we see the holes like that, they're little pinholes and yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, a little, sometimes they'll snag get a little bit bigger. Usually I, never quarter size. Yeah. And, and I wasn't speaking to your brand specifically, but, um, I will definitely say that, um, the durability of the seven pads that I have, I, I definitely have not had some of the issues that I've had with um, two of the other brands that I, that I've worn a lot of were mm-hmm. just easily snagged on Manzanita or the pins of the, the pedals or right. whatever the hell is around, you know, and next thing you know, you got all these holes that you're either sewing back together. And the, the seven pads that I have, the, the material is definitely um, it's still breathable. Mm-hmm. But 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 definitely wears better than the other ones that I that I've used. So yeah, you guys are doing a good job there for sure. Yeah, and we try, and it's a, it's a trade off for sure. It's we want to vent it, we want it lightweight, um, but we also want it durable. Mm-hmm. Pedal pin, it's going to happen on no matter what pad you have for the most part. Yeah. It's where sometimes we get riders that are newer to pads and they get that snag and cause they're walking a little bit more even, and they don't pay attention. Like me, myself, uh, you know, I've gotten those in my, I rarely do cause I I'm aware of it. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it's not something common for me. Yeah. Um, but that's why we want to take care of everybody. We want everybody to be happy. And that first pedal pin snag, I, I wouldn't recommend anybody running out and doing a, a crash replacement or anything on it. They're yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I, yeah. Um, I was just trying to make up some yeah. scenario in my head, yeah. you know, maybe it's an accident or something like that where it seems like sometimes that happens when you get something brand new, you know, and you're like, Oh, that's really sucks. I feel like if I ripped up a set of pads that I had for two years, I, I, my knee jerk wouldn't be like, oh, let me get a crash replacement. It would be like, right. dude, I use these things for two years. It's time for, for a new pair. Yeah. But um, if I had them for like a month and I somehow, you know, shredded them, then I'd be like, okay, I'm, yeah. I feel like, you know, that would be nice to get a, a discount because I haven't had these very long and they're expensive, right. you know? But, so, you know, the nice thing, the way we look at it too for, two years down the road if you got sick because you got 20 pedal pin holes in the back now because it's just you're prone to pedal pin holes or yeah. something and you know there is we do see on occasion where the side material might rip in a, a crash um yeah. something like the transition where it doesn't have as much uh, of the side protection and we want you to be happy and we want you to be protected and we stand by our behind our product and mm -hmm. we, we want return customers. So we want to try to take care of everybody as best as we can. And I, I can't say, you know, we've had the the case because our guy that handles warranty will come to me and like, Hey, look, this guy, he bought the pads a week ago. He sent me the receipt and he just had a really bad crash and he ripped them. And I'm like, yeah, just send him a free pair. Like it, you know, that's yeah. technically, it's not a manufacturer defect. And the guy will admit it, he crashed in it. Yeah. You know, we're lucky. Most people understand the yeah. cost behind protection. They don't get angry about it. Yeah. Oh, you know, I just got these last week. <laughs> I'm really bummed about it because I liked them. Yeah. And, you know, just take care of this, this case because, you know, we try yeah. to be pretty fair on things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think, that's good practice. I mean, that's good business practice. I mean, you, you, you make the person happy like that and they're going to tell, you know, 10 of their friends to go buy these, yeah. you know, and that doesn't mean that 10 of their friends are all going to try to replace their pads, you know, right away. But like that, that good customer service, it really like trickles down you can't capture it on some report, but right. it definitely happens. You know, we had a case of that at Sea Otter, actually. It was a pretty cool story because this lady brought like 10 of her friends over <laughs> to buy yeah. You know, men, women, she, yeah. she had a crew with her. And she's like, you got to get these pads, they're the best. And she was like, sell all of her friends on these. And I happened to hear her talking uh -huh. about it and everything. And, you know, we didn't have to get involved at all. She, she had it all, you know, her sales pitch down to her friends on it. <laughs> and I asked her, like, how did you hear about her pads? Because, you know, we're still... We're still a relatively new brand. We had a little bit of hiccup with the merger I mentioned earlier that we uh -huh. lost some, some steam there. Uh, and I, I asked her and she's like, yeah, the, there's this really good rider in our area. And she was in NorCal area somewhere and, mm -hmm. and he got a pair and he absolutely loved them. And he, you know, I asked him and she got her first pair because of him. And now she's like, you know, dragging a bunch of her friends over and yeah. Know, that they need to get the pads too so it's kind of cool seeing those things um you know the unside or unheard side of marketing and yeah 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 it definitely is the other thing that you guys have on your um 
elbow pads that I really like is that you have a little loop to help pull them up. Yeah. And I haven't seen that on any other pads either. And, and it was one of those, like, just those little tiny things that don't really like, it doesn't change the pad to make it like, you know, this is a better pad, but right. it's a better experience. And it's just like little, little touches to detail. I guess you, like, yeah, it's not like a, it's not like a hoop that you could like hang them up with. It's just so you can grab it and help kind of pull it into place. Yeah, that, that loop was actually multifunctional. And w one of the functions we, we did away with um, at broadcasting, I guess, a little bit, because it ran into some issues, but it, it does work for hanging on certain things. Like I hang, I have one of those, you know, cheap target wooden drying racks that I hang my riding clothes on mm -hmm. and the rest goes in the dryer. And so I, I use that and put that, a little peg that sticks out on the one side on it for my pads to hang on to air dry. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, they work for pulling up, like you said. One of the other features of it was when we originally launched them was to be able to roll the pad up and then use that loop to tie around the pad to keep it rolled so you could shove it in like a pack pocket or um, pockets that way if you didn't want to ride uphill with the pads oh okay we we stopped advertising that as a feature because one after spending more time in our own pads through after the development period and really mm -hmm. like well you can climb in these all day long and they're they're not really an issue mm -hmm. uh, and then the second part of it is you know this material wraps up real nice when it's warm under mm -hmm. normal temperature conditions. We had a lot of people from Canada <laughs> where when it started getting colder, they were starting to roll their, trying to roll their pads up like that. And when they're cold, um, they get fragile and they'll actually crack. Oh yeah. So we're like, yeah, it's not a good idea anymore. So we're not gonna, gonna yeah. we're exposing it to some cold, cold temperatures and even, or they rolled them up in their house, stuck them in their pockets went out to the ride, climbed up, got to the top, and they're like, how do I enroll these things now? Mm -hmm. so, but if you're in warm climates, it works out great. But yeah, you can roll them up and you can actually use that loop there and it stretches, it's elastic, and it'll wrap around the pads and hold them in a roll for you. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm I'm thinking about the same loop. That's yeah. Pads, though, huh? I, I need to grab a, a loose pair and I can show you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, here, you know what? I've got because I was thinking on the Sam Hill light. I'm yeah. pretty sure it's just like a little tab, like a little blue tab that you can just like kind of pull up on. Yeah. And that's what I because I the main reason that it stuck out to me was yeah, I guess it is bigger than I'm remembering. So yeah, so it's that that guy right there, and yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's stretchy and it, it works for yeah. hanging stuff, but. Yeah, it's totally bigger than what I was remembering in my mind, I guess. <laughs> Winter time right now. Yeah. In the cold. The I'm other sorry. reason that I liked it was not only pulling them up, but was also like to pull them down because, oh, that's right. Yeah, he's got it all rolled up, little little elastic all around it. Right on. Because I get poison oak so easy. Yeah. If I 
had like let's just say i've had some instances where i ended up getting poison oak like down my my, my arm or my tricep and it'd be because i had oil poison oak oil on my glove and when i would go to take them off i'd slide my thumb in and push yeah. the pad down and then the two days later i'd have this line of poison oak down and with your pads i could grab that that little thingy and just pull them off and i would know that then i could wash my hands or whatever and i didn't like infect myself more so yeah that's why it stood up to me <laughs> yeah i used to get poison ivy really bad, bad back east yeah and uh, a kind of crazy story is i had a full leg cast on i broke my tib and fib um right in 20s and i i got poison ivy down on my ankle somehow inside the cast in the cast in the cast and i went for like one of my regular checkup things it wasn't even bothering me at first it was weird and the the doctor cut a window down because i broke it right above my ankle uh -huh. um and he's like you got poison ivy <laughs> like what and it was just around the bottom there somehow and i don't know wow. how i got it or anything and yeah so i they uh they kept the window in there and they, maybe they took the whole cast off, but when they put a new one in, they cut it so I could put calamine lotion and my oh, poison yeah. ivy at the. Oh, yeah, I hate that plant. Do you not, where do you live? You're in, you're in Colorado? Colorado, yeah. Yep. There's no poison ivy or poison oak there? There's poison oak here. Um, I, I haven't that. had any issues with it. I don't know if I'm just not allergic to poison oak, but I was poison ivy or. Uh, one of the trails that it's actually over by my house and one of my favorite trails out here, White Ranch, they say it's down in the bottom there. I don't know what it looks like even, but. Dude, I can see that shit from like a mile away. Yeah. I, I am like a poison oak ninja. Like I could be going down a screaming downhill and I'll be like ducking under plants and. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a rattlesnake ninja. So that's oh, why yeah. my focus is rattlesnakes and I, I miss everything else but rattlesnakes and. Yeah, do you guys have a lot of those out there? We, we do have a lot. And last year, it seemed like we saw a ton of them. And one of the guys that I ride with um, a lot that works here, we'll get to a top of the climb. Like, yeah, did you see that rattlesnake there? Did you see that rattlesnake? You're like, no, I didn't see a single one of them. And yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I, I make sure because we get the um, bull snakes out here, which look like rattlesnakes. But uh -huh. I, I look for the head and the tail right away just to see. Yeah. I, I'm a baby. I have a fear of snakes like crazy. Oh, really? And uh, I, I had one coil up on me the one time I did not see one. And I, I see them, you know, a decent amount out here. Yeah. Uh, there was a hiker coming ahead and it was a slow section of trail, but it was kind of out in an open meadow area. And I looked up to acknowledge the hikers and I was talking to them and they were off in the distance. And I must have rode like right over it or near it. And it rattled and I hopped with my bike, screamed like a five-year-old girl. Yeah. Just like looked down and saw it while I was in there hopping because I just like attention to yeah. it. Then I yelled back to the person behind me that there was a rattlesnake there. And yeah, it like coiled up and rattled at me. And uh, Yeah. Last year was the first year I ran into a bunch of them last year as well. Yeah. And there was one particular trail I was climbing that was let's just say steep drop off to the right and like high pitch of, of hill on the left. Yeah. And so this big snake, it was probably like five feet at least long. It's just like going up the middle of the trail. So it's like, you can't really go around it 
right because you know so so we're kind of waiting for him just to decide to go like right or left and it's just not happening and so i'm like well, i'm gonna throw a rock at it right <laughs> and and apparently you're not like my 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 initial thought process was hit it with this rock and then it's gonna be like oh fuck i need to get out of here yeah, but, like i didn't really put a lot of thought into it like it's a rouse thing it's pretty high on the freaking food chain so <laughs> like it instead instantly went into like coiled and like now it's in the middle of the trail just pointing at us like all kinds of pissed off yeah. and uh i'm like how long does it take now for this thing to like get unpissed off and go you know yeah and i'm standing there and this other dude comes up and he's like you know what's going on you know and i'm like hey big fucking snake right there and this guy like eventually is like he's tired of waiting and he like picks his bike up and and he's like walking with his bike like it's a shield between him and the rattlesnake and i'm and i'm thinking of my and he had like like an older i want to say it was a hardtail so it's like this huge triangle right like, i'm like that snake can catch a fucking mouse from like 10 feet away dude and you think you're gonna like block it with your bike with a big hole in the middle like, yeah oh my god i i basically told him when he was like he's like i'm just gonna go for it i'm like look man i'm not sucking any blood out of your leg so you're gonna fucking die if it hits you so well, that's what yeah i I have this like unrealistic fear that they're just going to spring from like 20 feet away and attack me yeah. as I'm riding by and everything. And, you know, as I get older, I'm a, and, you know, unfortunately I don't get on the bike as much having a family and this and everything. Yeah. I'm slow on climbs and that's my biggest fear is coming across. I'm like on the downhills, I'm fine. I'm going fast enough. I can right. bunny hop over them or whatever. And, but yeah, climbing, it, it, it still scares me. So I'm constantly scanning, but I see snakes and, I'll stop sometimes and show, oh, yeah, there's a snake there. One time at White Ranch, we stopped, and there was a guy standing next to a sign to enter the next trail. I'm like, just step away two steps backwards real slowly. <laughs> and he actually listened and did it. I'm like, you were standing right next to a rattlesnake. And he looked, he's like, holy shit, I didn't even know that. Oh, and, yeah, we just, like, pulled up, and I just saw it there because of my, yeah, I've got, like, this rattlesnake radar going on. I've noticed if I see a snake then for the next like two weeks every stick or crack or anything that's dark colored is now a snake to my brain that's like i can't mind. get it out <laughs> it's like everything's a snake <laughs> yeah you know your rattlesnake story we were doing a night ride and we were climbing up and uh i, I saw with my headlight my one on my head that i saw two eyes i'm like okay it's you know deer or something and just kept climbing and there was a group of us and as we got up closer i kept glancing over i didn't say anything to anybody at this point because i thought it was just deer and it happened to be two mountain lion oh, um, shit. up there on the hillside above us and when i you know figured out exactly what it was i told everybody else i'm like okay just stop i'm like there's two mountain lion up there and we all shined our light and you could see their heads and everything and like yeah, so we 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 backed up very slowly down the trail yeah. and there was probably five or six of us and um, got down to this intersection and two other guys climbed up and we're like, yeah, there's two mountain lion up there. You might not go up that way. And it was yeah. the same kind of moment between those two guys. And one guy's like, oh, I'm just going to go for it. I'm like, okay, good luck. The cats uh, don't bother me as much for some reason. Like sometimes I'll get a little creeped out. Like it's like, I'm a slower climber too. So I'm never like in the group, you right. know, so it'll be like, especially on those night rides and you're like, you hear what sounds like a Sasquatch. It's probably like a field mouse in the woods just running around. 
Yeah. But like sometimes with the cats, like I'll, I'll start thinking about maybe getting my head a little bit, but for the most part, I don't, I don't usually worry about them, but I was doing this downhill run once and is the place it's in the place that I ride locally all the time. And like right in the middle of the trail was the backbone and like all the vertebrae, like yeah. all the rib cage of like a deer, but like cleaned. Yeah. You know, and it's just laying in the middle of the single track. So you're like, it's not like it's sat there for you know six months and eroded, you know, like yeah. something put it there. Right. You know? <laughs> and it was one of those moments where you're like, okay keep pedaling yeah yeah the cats and snakes are the thing bears don't bother me much or yeah and things like that it's just i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah definitely definitely they're they're good reminders of where you where you're you sit on the food chain sometimes you know well dude we're rounding up to two hours here man i really appreciate your time yeah no problem super stoked that we got a chance to talk and i always ask people before they get off the show it, do you do you watch other YouTube channels and stuff like that? I, I don't much. Um, like I said I, I've watched a few of yours. Um, yeah. I'm. I, w- I always ask people if if there's any particular channels that they like to watch, whether it has to do with mountain biking or basket weaving or right. uh, whatever it is. But if if you're not a YouTube person, then don't worry about it. Yeah, I, I'm not. You know, yeah. I, I guess they post them on YouTube, so I would have to say um the rolls from the the world cups are one of my favorite things to watch oh right on yeah i watch a lot and i i wake up and watch the world cups every time too like nice i gotta watch them live so that's right yeah (laughs) been a been a rider all your life no i I started when i was 12 and i i started because i wasn't good at it i moved to a new area and there was a kid that raced bmx and he was way better than me and i I wanted to be better and i suck at regular sports i can't catch a ball throw a ball (laughs) yeah yeah. and i grew up around motorcycles and stuff dirt bikes and yeah that's why i got into riding so i think my story is similar i always say i I can't hit like the broad side of a barn with a rock you know like i'm just not a tradition wasn't never a traditional sports guy but like bikes was something that always just kind of it worked yeah. You know, and so it was fun for me to get into and yeah. and um I don't know, all the little punk BMX kids that I hung out with were just as as um into breaking the rules as I was. So we, right. we always had a good time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had a good time riding twenties and it's funny, one of my friends who rode uh you know, used to dirt jump a lot. We grew up in a big dirt jump area back in Pennsylvania and I, I raced too, but he got a mountain bike and we all made fun of him for getting a mountain bike. And I, I think I was next getting a mountain bike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of caught the bug and went from there too on that side. Right on, man. Well, there you go. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate all, appreciate all your time, Jason. It was awesome yeah, talking to you about seven, seven IDP. Oh, I almost said dip <laughs> and, and all, and your other brands as well. It was really informative. And I think anybody that hasn't been, to their website to check out their products go check it out it's seven idp but the number seven not the word seven so seven idp.com check them out they have a instagram and a facebook and a twitter too whichever one of those you use swing by and follow them while you're there on those platforms give me a follow as well 
If you guys are still listening to this on, on YouTube and you haven't subscribed yet, hit subscribe. Watching that number grow makes me happy and makes me want to keep doing this. So that that's always a plus. If you like it, hit a thumbs up. If you're a podcast listener, do me a favor. Write a five-star re review over on the Apple Podcast Review you platform. I can spit it all out. If there's a, plat a review platform on wherever you're listening at, I don't know what it is, SoundCloud or or Spotify or whatever, write a review if it's if it's a five-star. If it's a four-star review, don't waste your time. You don't even need to do it. <laughs> your time's more valuable than that. So <laughs> Everybody out there, I hope you guys all enjoyed this. Like I said, if you're a YouTube follower, make sure you hit that bell to know that you're uh, to get the notifications whenever I'm posting when these are because I'm not following a schedule anymore. So now you guys know it's up to you. Do that. If there's one thing that you take out of this whole show, remember it only takes a bike to be a biker. So get out and be one.